0: again and welcome to the new books in latino studies a channel within the new books network i am your host tiffany gonzalez and today on the program we have teresa palomo acosta she is the co-founder and former vice president of the ruth weingarten memorial foundation for texas women's history she is the author of many works of fiction and poetry and is the co-author of las Tejanas: 300 years of history she is my guest on today's podcast and she will discuss her award-winning book Tehana Land, a writing life a writing life in four acts, published with Texas AM University Press in 2021. Hello, y'all, and welcome to the New Books in Latino Studies. Thanks for taking the time to chat with me today, Teresa. How are you doing? I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me on your program. Absolutely. I'm really excited to dive in and talk about your work today. Um, so I wanna to start off this conversation. I want you to kind of tell us about who you are. Um Your professional and personal background, and what drove you to writing this book a little bit?
1: Well, I come from Central Texas. I was born in the little town about 90 miles north of Austin called McGregor. And uh, I uh, ended up in Austin, Texas, uh, to complete my undergraduate degree at the University of Texas at Austin. Uh, I'd always had uh, a desire to, to write. I guess since I was a child, about 11 years old. Um, and so I ended up writing poetry initially, which is still remains my favorite genre when I was 16. I ended up studying journalism because I thought that that would be one way that I could tell stories. Uh, I did not spend a lot of time as a professional in journalism, although journalism has been really important in my own writing. Um, ultimately, I taught English uh, writing uh, women's studies, particularly Chicana studies, uh, at St. Edward's University and then University of Texas at Austin. and But I would say most of my life I've spent doing research and writing, and I uh, spent some of that time before I retired at the Don Frisco Center for American History at UT Austin.
0: Thank you for that. Um, can you tell us a little bit about how the idea for your book came about? Because it seems a lot that your personal background growing up in Central Texas and your love for writing and journalism poetry, I mean, that's the bedrock of this book. Can you tell us a little bit about how the the initial ideas for compiling it came about?
1: Well, it's really kind of fascinating. I did not approach anyone with the book idea. I was approached uh, by the Ruth White Garden Foundation Uh, for Texas Women's History, they have uh, organized a um, a joint publishing program with Texas A&M University Press. So I was approached by the Weingart Foundation and, and asked if I was interested in putting together a manuscript. And I said, well, let me think about it. And I was told that I could put together a manuscript of my choice, whatever I wanted to do, which gave me a lot of freedom. So what I decided to do was I I decided to focus on a period of 30 years of my writing, and I uh, pulled together from that some works that I had always wanted to see in print, and that ended up, since I had worked in different genres, I ended up putting together two plays from a three-play trilogy, uh, a children's story that I love a great deal, and they have independently been published on its own uh, at one time, uh, four essays, um, three of them really dealing with what I consider my Tehana Literary awareness, and then a fourth essay on my work with uh, Ruth Weingarten on Buster Hannes. and then uh, 92 points, as it turns out, uh, that are fairly more recent from about 2013 to 2018. So I wanted this book to be a compilation of the different genres that I uh, had worked in, and it focused very much on my experiences as a writer uh, on Bahamas and Bahamas and uh, that I knew in my generation and from my parents' experience of Texas.
0: I really enjoyed, I mean, I enjoyed reading the whole book, but I would love for you to tell the audience a little bit more about the children's story. Las Colchitas and how that came about, if you can give us um, insight into that and what that meaning is for you.
1: Well, Coches Cochitas is uh, based on, loosely based on uh, one of my very well-known forms, My Mother Peace Quilts. Uh, my Mother Peace Quilts I wrote when I was an undergraduate at UT in the only uh, creative writing class I ever took. Dr. Carlota Carlos McGuire was a teacher and I wrote it as a classroom exercise. She was uh, working on an anthology on uh, the United States and America, American literature, and she asked to put it in that book. Uh, in about 1988 or so, I got a call from a Southwestern editor for uh, Public, Mifflin, Public Mifflin at that time, asking me if I wrote children's stories. And I said, no, I didn't, but uh, I would try. So I decided to use... Uh, my mother's piece quilts as the background for Cochas Cochitas. And so then decided to invent a story about a little girl whose grandmother tells her the story of the family through the quilts she makes. And it certainly is very much related to my mother's piece quilts because in my mother's piece quilts, I talk about how my mother put together pieces of fabric that reminded me of a vacation we had taken or a dress that she had made for us. So in Bocascochitas, in, I really wanted to create a very warm family environment in which this child learns about why the family makes own quilts. And I wanted to insert in that uh, a mother who's a professional, an, an aunt who's a writer, uh, among other people with their lives in the agricultural world, because I wanted to give a sense of this breadth of, information, of knowledge and experience that, that the Hano community has, has always had. And my sense was that a lot of those stories don't do that. They kind of just sort of make it warm and fuzzy in one way, but you don't get a sense of the the history. And so I really wanted uh, to give people this experience of the grandmother being a great teacher in this regard, telling her about the family through the fabrics.
0: That was so beautiful. Because, I mean, incorporating your... Intellectual, your intellectual reasoning, but also that familial aspect of how, in poetry and writing, right, we still are able to create a presence of our own culture of Mexican American or Chicana culture, or in this aspect, Tejana culture right. of how it, you're giving life to that through writing and making it present. And that was just like outstanding of how, you know threading through and sewing through personal belongings to retain culture that you really were able to capture that in your own writings that that I believe those listening should um will find that remarkable as well another
1: thing about uh Pochitas and in general a lot of my writing but just to focus on that story I think it's really important for for me as a writer um to just make the presumption that what the Hanas have been doing is a very natural thing. It is not to make anything exotic. So I really want in my work to not sort of say, hey, guess what, you're reading about the Hanas. I just want to make it flow and so it becomes a normative. It's not It's not unusual, it's not exotic. It's just the norm of a world named the Land. <laughs>
0: Exactly, with the title, Tejana Land. Um, and you mentioned earlier, as part of your writings, right, you talk, you spoke about um, your, te, your Tejana literary abuelas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Like, who are they? Um, give that aspect to those listening and what they mean to you.
1: Well, the, there are three uh, women I'll mention briefly uh, who I, uh, and there are many more Tejana literary abuelas yet to be uncovered. Some of them will be our family members and some of them will be women, in this case, in history, who were very significant. Uh, Sala Estela Ramirez, the poet, uh, very much important to the uh, start of the Mexican Revolution. Um, and, you know, there is uh, Elena Zamora O'Shea, the writer of The uh, Mesquite. And then, the Rubita Gonzalez de Mendez um, is probably really the best known of these women. I did not discover any of these women until I was well into adulthood. I was a Mexican American studies major at the University of Texas in Austin. They didn't allow us to call it Mexican American studies at that time. It was ethnic studies. And then it was a concentration in Mexican American studies. I didn't meet any of these women in my studies there. It was only when I uh, was probably in my 30s that I first discovered Juanita Gonz- uh, Gonzalez. Partly through uh, the work I was doing at Texas State Historical Association, and most importantly, through uh, Cynthia Orozco, the historian who basically knew more about her than I did. And so what I discovered in these three women uh, were one, their connection to the culture, their connection as writers. Uh, and that was very key, that they were all connected to me, to my history and to writing. And so for Sala de Labamidas, I uh essentially the name of the essay is the Highland History as a as a poem, Sala de Labamidas and me. So I wanted to, to discuss her as how we related to one another as poets. And um, the idea that these women exist in history but are, have not yet been very well known, it was just important for me to highlight them in all these works that I wrote. I um, wrote that essay for a women's conference. that was held when I was at TSHA. Um, the one on Jopita Gonzalez I wrote because Cynthia Orozco sort of commanded me to write that piece uh, to deliver at the opening, con- uh, opening session of a conference of Mexican-American studies that we held when I was at the Texas State Historical Association. And the one on Elena Zamora I did in part because I was invited by students at uh, Southwestern University to talk about a woman that was not well-known. And so I chose to write about her and other uh, I call it And uh, she was very important and her work uh, was very certainly well-discussed in uh, uh, John Gonzalez's book, Border uh, Renaissance, which he credits really the writers with pulling together the ideas uh, to object to the celebration of the Texas Centennial that denied uh, Mexican-Americans involvement in Texas. So these women, because they were writers and they were so outspoken, uh, they were writing from years before I was even born. That really was so important to me to put into this book because they are very much the landscape of a, of a Tejana understanding of, of our lives.
0: Absolutely. And their writings, I mean, even me as a historian, we kind of credit in the historical record, right? We credit these women as even from their different juncture of discipline as the original, as one of the first, right? Pardon me, not the original, but one of the first historians of Tejana histories. Right. They're talking about sensitive issues within their, about their culture, about the region, about the time. And so I thought, I that's to be so beautiful but also so starking that it sometimes takes us to go when we're in college to learn about this and I'm wondering if you can tell me a little bit about what was going on through during that social time period that for these histories to be at the forefront at UT was it because of the movements or is it because of the professors that were focusing on Mexican American history
1: well, when I was at the University of Texas, we were struggling greatly to just make sure that the area of studies in Mexican, for on Mexican-origin people uh, was validated by the academic world. And we ran into a great number of problems. Uh, Dr. Medical Paredes, who was uh, the, really the first director of Mexican-American studies at UT, who's a highly respected folklorist, but even with his work, uh, it was a, still a struggle for him to to get recognition to create this program. So when I was at the university, we had what I would call the first large wave of uh, Chicanos and Chicanas, mainly men at this time, who were being trained in history. And they became really, it's because of that generation that we now have a much stronger Mexican-American studies uh, program throughout throughout the country. Some of the people who were there who came in as postdoctoral fellows were from California. Uh, and so I met some of the, I met Juan Gómez Cinones at that time and others. So we were, we banded together uh, as students, we also incorporated uh, art, music, theater, uh, to make our case. And we were very much involved in the great strikes and the like. So we always saw our work uh, as being very much connected to the community. In other words, if you're an academic, your responsibility is certainly to that world of exploration of ideas, debates, and the like, but you also have to know that you come from the community and you have to use that as a basis of saying the community's life, is history, is significant to the studies that we do in universities. Uh, that is not something that you just separate at all. Uh, and I think sometimes there's. I had the belief as a someone growing up that there was some sort of um, arena, the academic arena, that was separate because it was to use a silly word, highfalutin. And the reality was that everything that I've written about in many ways, and certainly in terms of the poetry, comes very much from the lived experience of people. And we know when we say literature, for example, that it's the, the people whose stories writers are interested in telling. Whether it's, uh, you know, Isabel Hended, or Shakespeare, or, you know, anyone else in any other environment that is was checked off in, in Russia, that it's the people's stories and uh I think a great uh, professor can always convey that to their students it is they don't live in a, a glorified world of uh that's separate they have to be very much attuned to what
0: the people are doing. Yeah absolutely and I think for me myself when I think about my writings and the readings that you know that I read of others there's a sense you know, there should be a sense of connection to the community outside the academic world. Um, Giving, you know, as a historian, I take no ownership in the histories of other people. I'm just their translator or their, you know, their, what's the word aside from translator, their interpreter of their histories. And I think sometimes, I mean, there is, you know, this this thinking that as academics take ownership, but we don't take ownership and that's something so beautiful that I think that, you, that you've that you explained, right? There's always a commitment to the outside world, outside the institution. Um, and I think that goes into what a lot of readings within Mexican history or Mexican American history or Tejano history is that there, it's always a channel of communication between the community and the institution and always taking responsibility and, um, to that community of the people that you write about. And one, in speaking of which in your book, you write about collaboration a lot. And I think that's kind of very central to um, Latinos and Mexican American history. And it's very much a feminist, Chicana feminist uh, thought, right? Collaboration is always key. And you write about a piece in one essay about your collaborative um, engagement with writing Las Tejanas. Can you tell us a little bit about that? What was the meaning behind that? Uh, now that you've so many years have passed since the publication, what, what meaning does it have for you now?
1: Well, in terms of the collaboration, uh, the person I was working with, Ruth Weingarten, uh, is really, or uh, was the, the mother of, of uh, Texas women's uh, history in terms of writing history. Without Ruth, we wouldn't have that as a field. And she produced probably 17 more than that books, many of them in collaboration with other people. So uh, I came to the project through a you know, very unusual pattern. I, I, when I heard about the the book she was working on, I wanted to work on. She had another collaborator who had to leave the project because of other responsibilities. But when I first heard about it, at a I was on the panel Luther had invited me to speak at. Um, I remember thinking, what a terrible, idea. not a terrible idea, but it, it just made me uh, feel very fearful because I thought, how can you write this general survey? It's so overwhelming. And by then I had many years of experience of having worked at the Handbook of Texas where I focused on Mexican American history. Well, by and by, uh, when I returned to my home, Ruth contacted me and before I knew it, I was part of this project. And I just decided that I wouldn't think about it for very long because the more I thought about it, the more frightened I would be. So we decided to do a general survey to cover 300 years, and we were warned not to do that because who does that? Well, you know, I'm not trained as a historian, so I didn't have professors saying to me, don't do it. You'll never you'll fail. And Ruth had studied history much more formally than I had, but she was a, a risk taker. So these two risk takers got together, and we pulled this off. In the essay, I tried very much to elaborate exactly how we worked. Uh, we did have those meetings uh, that we would uh, have on Saturdays to discuss in weeks before. work. I lived in a little apartment next to Ruth that was in the same house and her, house, her office is in between where she lived and then where I live. And so we had this opportunity to basically talk every day. We didn't know each other very well, but we were both very hard workers. Uh, Ruth told me, you know, Vanessa, you have quite a work ethic. And I said, well, that's part of the of my upbringing and part of being trained in journalism where you meet deadlines all the time. Uh, so, the collaboration of what happened with that essay is that I wrote it in part to respond to uh, Maria Clepena, who contacted me. She was at the University of Michigan at the time, and she said that she had never seen any uh, essay about women collaborating a Chicana and a non-Chicana. And she wondered if I would tackle this project. And so I said, sure, I'll do it for you. And that's how I ended up writing this essay, uh, which allowed me to talk about how I came into the project, how we worked and Ruth's insistence that I have uh, the final say in how that book came out. Well,
0: thank you so much for, I mean, it seemed it was over, over a year and a half from your writing, from, from your essay that said you were working nonstop on writing, editing, talking about things. And well, you know what, That this is like the, the final Bible. I have it right here. And, and I just want to tell you, thank you. <laughs> and the way it was so masterfully divided, right? Just even talking about the origins, right? Native women, thesis, colonists to rural Texas, to the evolution of women in teaching business and professionals, to then the movement, right? And then, of course, my favorite, um, biasly, holding public office, things of, where Tejanas have contributed to that perhaps we still have a long ways to actually write about. And these biographical sketches really serve as an important map um, a guide right T- to tell others they have contributed in so many different ways and i, I think i just want to say think because i mean it is i mean it's not just a labor of love right it's not just that it's an ent- intellectual journey right. of uncovering and preserving these histories of Dehanas.
1: well um, you know there, there was always been a bias uh that thehanas just didn't participate in local life. And so Ruth and I put in. We have actually two chapters on highness and politics in uh, in that book. We really wanted to disprove that idea. Uh, so uh, it was uh, a tremendous amount of work. I was working pretty much full time, almost full time at the time. And so I just, I just, I did research during the day for another project, and then I would come home and I would write. Uh, I had a very strict schedule about what I would do. So, you know, we divided both by uh, subject matter and then by uh, different uh, periods of time. The chapter on Rural Women uh, was drawn a great deal from uh, four interviews that I did, uh, four oral histories I did with women, mainly in my my family. So, and they are all archived uh, at Bader University's Oral History Institute.
0: Thank you. So I have one last question for you, Teresa. How do you see the um, histories and writings about Tejana's evolving now, now that you've kind of set the groundwork of you know, with Tejana land?
1: Well, you know, I think that uh, even prior to that, when we used the term Tejana and Las Tejanas, which is very controversial, people didn't think we should use it. I'm glad that many more books have come out since that many years ago that we published this book. With this book, Tehana Land, I hope that those who read it who are, you know, are writers or want to be writers and who are working both in history and other genres, that they see this landscape of Tehana Land as being all encompassing. In other words, that it involves uh, this landscape which is both cultural, geographic, historical. In other words, if you want to enter Tehana Land and you're not a Tehana, that's okay. You just have to be aware that this is a very solid landscape and that, uh, that this is the landscape that uh, is a very valid one. We tend to see Texas history as, you know, the oil rigs and the like without really seeing the, this larger landscape. I would say that probably applies to different cultural groups in the, in the state actually. But for me, the land is this big pronouncement that you don't shy away from this important uh, land that I grew up in and lived in. And I think many people always thought that I came from the Valley. They didn't realize that someone who grew up in Central Texas could write this kind of work. So I wanted to uh, disabuse people of the idea that it doesn't matter if you grew up in Dallas and Fort Worth or you grew up in East Texas or you grew up where I grew up, there still is this huge array of material from which you can draw. In my case, the inspiration came directly from my family, who told me stories, I asked them questions, they took me on trips around the countryside, they told me where they live, how they work, the dances they went to, they would point out all these geographic places. So there is much the authors of everything I've written, including the Hunoland. I, I really want people to explore more and to uh, you know to do it in any genre that they think is important because they all our way of
0: telling you this this history. Absolutely, I love how you uh, broke down the geographical uh, similarities, <laughs> but also the divides. Because I mean, there is a lot even within Texas, right? The meanings of the regions and how that contributes to, you know, the landscape, understanding of the landscape and, and experiences. Uh. So, thank you so much to my listeners. Thank you for listening to this episode, which featured award-winning author Teresa Palomo Costa. Hasta la próxima.